0: All right, guys, we've got a special return guest on the podcast. One of my favorite guests, I always love having him on, and that's John Cooper. So he's the lead vocalist and bassist for the twice Grammy-nominated and 12-time platinum band Skillet. So if you're not familiar with Skillet, I don't know where you've been, but they're one of the best-selling and most stream rock bands of the 21st century. He's the host of the Cooper Stuff podcast, and he's also a podcast alum. He's been on episode 187 and 441 of this show. But we're having him on today because he has a new book out now. So if you're listening to this on time or whenever in the future, he has a new book out called Wimpy, weak and woke how truth can save america from utopian destruction and so you might be thinking to yourself like why in the world are is you know a rock star talking about things like wokeness and why is he digging into critical theory and why is he digging into you know transgenderism and all the things in society it's because he's one of the few guys in modern christian entertainment that is willing to put his career and reputation on the line to stand up for biblical truth and if you don't like that John doesn't care. I mean, he's a John's more of a, a natural feeler, so he wants people to like him. He, he wants to please people. That's why he's a musician. He wants to have most of the population like and consume his music. But when it comes to biblical truth, he has drawn a line in the sand that says, look, I am not going to talk to you in a way that is not biblical. I'm not going to defend things. That are not biblical to appeal to some random supposed third way approach <clears throat> so in this particular podcast we talk about why he wanted to write the book we talked about The third way approach. We talked about the tone police. We talked about people trying to be winsome. We talked about why Christians are not wanting to be divisive and where that comes from. Cowardly pastors, how we're basically lacking in modern day prophets, how we bought into the lie that Jesus of Nazareth was a wimpy person, and now we see wimpiness as a virtue. And guys, we talk about a whole lot more stuff. And again, we couldn't even cover a tiny portion of what he covered in his brand new book, but I think it's going to be a great primer for you before you go out and get your book yourself. That will be in the show notes. It can only be bought at johnlcooper.com. So he's trying to work it out with Amazon and some other places, but johnlcooper.com is where you can get the new book, but let's not keep this interview from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. John Cooper, it's always good to see your face, but is it as good for you to see my face? Because my my beard's maybe not as cool as yours, but you know, do do you get excited whenever I pop up on the screen? Like help me understand. (laughs)
1: I absolutely do. You know I do, man. In, in fact, just this week at, a, at a, sh- a concert, somebody came through a VIP line, and they were like, man, I love watching you and Kyle. So uh, I, I don't Let's remember what, what, yeah, what, exactly what episode. I don't know if he met us together or if he just met separately, but we have those fans that come through. They, 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 they have their undaunted gear on, and uh, I give them a high five.
0: Heck yeah, man. Well, hey, whenever we see each other here next month, maybe we have to bring back undaunted Cooper Life stuff. So maybe we have to bring Cooper that Life. back. The people demand it. That's right. We got <laughs> to have that. Well, hey, we got a lot of ground to cover today, but I do have a skillet-based question, if that's okay for me to ask. I remember when you and I were talking privately months and months and months ago, um, and then I guess it's decently public now, but for the first time since y'all were basically a band playing in garages y'all are an independent band y'all are not on a label uh you were on the same label for over two decades sold a lot of records saw the world a million times over but now y'all are doing your own thing so i know y'all are still kind of figuring out what that looks like from a touring perspective a recording perspective all that what's that feel like though
1: yeah it's really interesting i mean the 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 uh, obviously the world has changed a lot in 20 years the music business is also you know changing and trying trying to just to trying to reshape and, and and know where to go and so I think that it's uh, it's an exciting time for us I mean I personally feel pretty excited about it because um, hmm it's kind of nice not to have any strings, you know what I mean? <laughs> no strictures. And, and the truth is, is we, we're a pretty self-contained group. Anyway, we do a lot of our own videos or artwork. We do a lot of the things that we used to, like when you were, you know, in, in the nineties, I'm like, man, if we get signed to a label, that's going to be great. Cause they can do a, a real music video and a real recording. Hmm. We kind of do all that on our own anyway now, because things have changed a lot. So, I feel like the future is bright and and clear. We're we're ri- actually writing new music right now and feeling really good about it. So I don't know. I'm pretty excited about the next chapter.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the new music. So sometimes when people leave a label, so for instance, one of my favorite bands is not a very popular band, but they're a a Christian deathcore band called Impending Doom. So they've been signed to like Solid State or something for a really long time, but now they are releasing uh, an independent EP. And it's a it's a more like razor sharp version of everything that they've done. And so it's like it's a bit heavier, it's a bit beefier, the lyrics are a little bit more aggressive. So for you guys as you're writing, are you trying to stay kind of that that similar skillet sound which has evolved a lot over twenty years, obviously? Are you all gonna maybe do some experiments that the label wouldn't have been super big on? Like what is the what are we expecting the sound to be like?
1: You know that's a great question. That makes sense to me. That a lot of bands would do that. They 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 sort of now have artistic freedom, and sometimes they sometimes they go to like really wild places, and people are like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really yeah, like, that. I like that." It <laughs> was better. It was better. When it was you know, kind of commercial. I mean, the truth is, right. Skillets. We've been kind of self-contained, doing what we wanted to do the last couple of record cycles. I think that for us, it it might not. I mean, it could it could be in the way it changes, but I think that for us, it might just be a lot less strife if I can just be 100% honest, just without having so many cooks in the kitchen. So many people saying, no, I don't think you should try that. No, that's been, no, you should do it. It's just a headache, to be honest. And so um, I'm very grateful for what, we, what God used with Atlantic. They were great to us and all of that. But at this point in, in our career, I think Skillet knows how to make music. We know how to make music that our fans connect with. They, Our fans connect with us, and I think that at this point the label was sort of – I just, I kind of feel like they were kind of in the – I don't want to say they're in the way because that, that means that nobody was doing anything good. That's not true. They, they were helping some things, but it's a lot of unnecessary strife. So uh, I think that we're going to come out with something really great. I think the fans will be like, oh, wow, I really, I really dig this, you know?
0: Well, being around all four of you, as much as I have, um, y'all are very genuine people. And so there are people that hate the music that they perform. They hate the music that they write and put out there. They're wanting to do other things. I don't really get that sense with y'all. I think y'all like the music that you've written. You like the response that you get from the crowd, but you also know where your bread is buttered. And so you're not going to all of a sudden release like a a skillet, the jazz album, or, you know, skillet, we're going to, you know, have a bunch of tambourines and it's going to turn into a charismatic show. Like, I don't think that's, that's what we're gonna hear it's gonna be skilled and it's gonna rock the house. So, as much as I'd love to keep talking about music, we need to talk about something that is super very, very, super duper exciting. It's the fact that you, as of today, as of the listening of this podcast, if you're listening on time, you have a brand new book out. So you wrote Awaken Alive to Truth a few years ago. And I just gotta be honest with you, the new book, which is called uh Week or Wimpy, Week and Woke, gotta get it correct, Wimpy, Week and Woke. I think that you've done something that is kind of unique to where everyone's heard about the sophomore slump. So there's that band that releases the debut album and it sells a trillion records. And then they release their second album. And it's like, yeah, this kind of sucks. I feel like this you've had the the first book, Awaken Alive to Truth, was just a primer Right. It was the pre-show for the pre-show for week wimpy or wimpy week and woke. I keep getting it out of out of order. But I thought that you did such an incredible job of continuing some of the narratives from the first book, but sending it basically to the moon. And so just generically, and then we'll dig into the content of the book, you know, the the whole title is Wimpy, Week and Woke, How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction as a rock star, as a family man, as a father, why take the time to write another book? Why take the time to write a book that had hundreds of citations? Uh, in in why weak? Why wimpy? Why woke? Why should we focus on those words?
1: Well, I appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you so much. You're actually the first person that has, I think, sort of maybe made that connection in that you don't need to read the first book to read the second book. It's not really like that. But the mm-hmm. first book was more like, all right, Christianity 101. So, so everybody looks at the world and is going, Oh my gosh, I don't, you know, I wrote that in 2020. What's happening. We had the pandemic. We had the BLM riots. We have all the racial talk stuff. We've got Christian deconstruction. We've got pastors saying some of the weirdest stuff that all of us Christians have (laughs) ever heard. And we're all asking each other, what in the world is going on? Awaken alive to Truth was sort of like, here's what's going on. It's it's postmodernism. It's relativism. And let's just keep it simple. Here's the simple truth. It was sort of a 101. But I feel like things have gotten weirder since then. And and I got to be honest with you, my naivety in 2020, I wasn't – I didn't think it could get weirder. I, I mean I know that I, – i I'm a moron. I'm, a, I'm, I'm such a naive moron. I did not think it could get weird because I remember 2020 no. – um, towards the election, I spoke, um, at a church and, uh, well, actually just to be honest for the first time, cause I, cause I know that you'll get mad at me if I'm not honest on this show. I actually did a thing at, at my own church. Anybody that's listened to Cooper stuff knows I love my church. I love my Pat, nothing but love and respect. I've been there for nearly 30 years. Um, love it. But they had me do a little thing. We did like a weekend on politics. I was explaining the progressive worldview and I was talking about trans ideology and I was explaining that this is what is going to be, is being taught in school and they are going to ramp it up because the truth is, is that the progressives, they really do want, they don't want to just teach your kids what transgender ideology is. They want your kids to be transgender or queer or or lg they want them on the lgbd spectrum they celebrate it and i had somebody that i've gone to church with for 25 years really upset she was like you sound like a flat earther a conspiracy (sighs) theorist she's she's like there's no such i don't believe that there's even such a thing as transgender ideology and even if there was there's no way They're teaching this at schools. And I was thinking, okay, this is as weird as it's going to get. But let's be honest, Kyle, it's way weirder now. And now it's gotten so weird that even Christian pastors and institutional leaders in the church who were saying strange things in 2020 are saying even weirder things. Nobody's covered the Andy Stanley stuff more thoroughly than you have. It's even weirder. So I wanted to do this book laying out, What I believe, how drastic what we're talking about is, I truly mean it, not being alarmist, I believe it with all my heart, we are on the precipice of the end of America, of the end of, I believe we're at a civilizational crisis, sort of like industrial revolution style, or like when when some sort of empire completely takes over another empire and, and they... They demolish it to the ground, and they, they build a new civilization with a brand new worldview. I think that's what's happening in Western civilization now. I think it's, it's going to be very detrimental to Christianity, to our ability to speak about the faith um, in terms of free, freedom of speech, freedom to aso- associate, freedom to go to church and preach the truth of Christ and the moral implications of the Bible. I think we really are at that point. And I think if people understood how evil the ideology was, I think Christians would go, okay, if I hear it from the horse's mouth, if Karl Marx really said that, then I'll agree to hate it. I think that Christians just haven't taken the time to read the material. So that's why I I covered it so thoroughly.
0: Hey guys, real quick. The financial status of most American families is not great. Doesn't that make you sad? It should make you sad. And this is going to blow your mind. According to a recent Gallup poll, 88% of non-retired Americans are very worried about having enough money to retire. And in that same poll, only 19% of non-retired Americans even think that they will have enough money to retire comfortably. That's 19%, not very much. So the thing is though, the reality is much worse than that. So I've seen estimates that claim that roughly 95% of non-retired Americans are currently not on track to be able to retire. 95%. And that is only concerning savings and investments. That doesn't even account for people that are exposed to serious financial problems if they were to get too sick or too hurt to work and God forbid if they pass away without having a plan to keep their family financially whole. It's just it's a crazy mess. And that's why I want to introduce you to my friend and my financial advisor Mike McCall with Blue Crest Financial. Mike can help you reach your chosen financial goals by helping you develop an overall plan to ensure you and your family's financial success. So whether it's IRAs, stocks, rollovers, life insurance, long-term care, disability income, you name it, Mike can help you with it. Now, just imagine the peace of mind that comes with knowing that you're taking proactive steps towards financial security for you and your loved ones. Think about the legacy you can leave behind, and it's really going to be something that truly reflects your conservative values and the hard work you put in throughout your life. I trust Mike McCall with my financial planning, so I think you should give him a shot as well. So to receive your free personal and or business financial assessment, go to the link in the show notes in this episode to book a 15-minute Zoom call with Mike. Do not try to piecemeal your own financial plan. Let an expert help you. Again, go to the link in the bio. Just click that link in the bio to get your free assessment. And, And just a quick note on that, guys, we're not even going to be able to cover like A 10th of the stuff in the book because there's so much detail. So we're going to kind of hit some highlights today, but I say all the time in order for these ideologies to permeate throughout a society, you need two types of people. You need conscious nefarious actors and you need useful idiots. So the conscious nefarious actors know what they're doing. They know that they're pissing in the pool. They know all these things, but then you have these useful idiots that just want to go along to get along these third way people, which we'll talk about these people focus on winsomeness that we'll talk about. And these are the people that allow these types of things to happen. And those are the people. So Camille Paglia, she's since passed away, but she was, she did a lot of research into, uh, great dynasties or empires that fell apart. So the Greeks, the Romans, and towards the end of those empires, they became completely obsessed with sex and gender. Right. So as much sex as possible with whoever you want, the gender of people and gender expression, and we're going to ruin gender norms and things like that. And the thing is, is she's like, those things were signs of their downfall because of the continuum of hard times, make Uh, strong men, strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. And we've had good times for a long time, which kind of brings up C.S. Lewis's chronological snobbery. These people that were born in 2001, they think that history started with them. They didn't experience 9-11 maybe. They didn't experience war themselves and all that. Anyway, I'm kind of getting preachy. We need to really dig into the book. I will say the pre-show of your book, which is like the, the prologue for a lot of people or the introduction for a lot of people, we could spend our entire time today, John, just talking about the stuff from that, but we, we will skip around and jump around a little bit. But from the very beginning, and this goes to your descriptions of your own naivety in your own, like, you know, just well meaningness. And you, you just took people at their word and you just assumed things were going to work out. Okay. You thought you were going to do three things your entire life. And that was to write the hits, rock the mic, And spread the hope. That's what you thought you were going to do. But now later in, or, you know, well into your established career and what you're doing, you've added a fourth thing to what you're going to do. And that's telling the radical truth. And it's because you talked about uh, you just learned a huge lesson that silence will not be tolerated by the progressive left. That's a direct quote from the book. So I guess, John, why didn't you just plug your ears and cover your eyes and just, you know, keep going on tour, keep releasing albums every two to three years? Why are you deciding to throw a grenade more than more than a wrench, a grenade into the equation this well into your career?
1: Yeah, you know, you just said it. Rock the hit. Sorry. uh, Write the hits. Rock the mic. Spread hope. I want to be in, uh, look, I'm in a band. Bands are supposed to be winsome. (laughs) We are not supposed to make Mm. people mad because we want everybody listening to our music. I mean, nobody starts in a band is like, I really hope I make at least 60% of the population hate me so bad. They would never listen to my (laughs) art. You know? um, The winsome thing, the third way, the, the, Hey, we guys, we need to be unifying and be nice to people. I feel that. And, and, and I, would, I just want to say this to people. I don't know if anybody like that would even listen to this show anymore. But if you're listening, I want you to know I feel you. I want that. But you have to put yourself in the perspective of let's pretend it's 1840 and let's pretend that, that, that you're right. We're right in the middle of like Chattel's, Chattel slavery. And and, and there's somebody that's speaking out against slavery. Let's say there's an abolitionist saying, hey, I'm a Christian and it is wrong for these people to have human beings as slaves, right? Separate them from their families and to own them as property is absolutely evil. Imagine that you have a Christian pastor come up and say, guys, don't be so mean. There's a third way. What we have to recognize is that these slave owners... They do have, there is something true about what they're saying. They're providing a good service. They are feeding these people. You know, they're giving them shelter. Imagine you heard that. Now we're in hindsight. So everybody goes, well, yeah, I'd never say that. But then why do you make a third way when it comes to abortion? You know what I mean? Why do you make a third way when it comes to radical gender theory and the the gender mutilation of teenagers, it's the most demonic thing I've ever heard in my entire life. As I said, two years ago, most Christians didn't even believe it was real. So right. that is why it came to this, is realizing that I did. I do wanna be that unifying, I wanna sing music, let people draw their own conclusions about what my songs mean. I'll let the Holy Spirit do His work as I'm singing my songs. I throw seeds out. God is bringing some people to faith and, and I get to be the nice guy but, but, but the progressive left will not let you do that. And, and I think that's the shift. You see, you said the people born in 2001. In 2001, in 2005, in 2008, we could all just kind of agree to disagree. And it was fine. everybody's like, hey, it's, it's tolerant. Everybody agree to disagree. Oh, you're into Jesus? Okay, I'm not. No big deal. It's not that way anymore. Now the progressive left has full-on taken on the mantle that they— are the righteous ones. That's different than 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was just more like, like neutral world. Everybody's ideas are sort of neutral. You talk about Jesus, they talk about whatever. Now the progressive leftist said, no, actually we think that the killing of the unborn is love. The killing of the un- unborn is actually better for the earth. If we're gonna save the earth by killing babies in the womb, we are the ones that show mercy because we know that some people just aren't ready to be moms and we're gonna help them slaughter their unborn children because we are the nice people and Kyle, people like you are the bad the bad ones because you hate women and you want them to suffer because you're a patriarchal, homophobe, transphobe, sexist, misogynist. What's wrong with you, Kyle? Why are you such a bad person?
0: <clears throat> what, and John, <clears throat> what I think that does is I think that exact ideology that you're describing there causes christians to be on their heels because they think by definition christians are not divisive but to go back to the third way approach because i do want to ask you a question about divisiveness on the third way approach guys you know this is this is easy language but when someone's like describing a third way whether explicitly or implicitly say great will you please explain to me what the third way is on abortion will you please explain to me what the third way is on transgenderism because now we're talking about preferences well i would prefer for us not to kill babies that are 16 weeks and older but hey you know i'm not a i'm not a politician it's like no no if you're a politician you have to learn how to legislate and what's possible within the law but as a person standing up for biblical truth or something like that you should be able to unequivocally say at any point of gestation that it is wrong it is immoral to end an innocent human life um But again, it gets back to this whole idea of divisiveness. So I want to read a a quote from the pre-show where you're talking about the divisiveness of people that hold to the Bible and where we've kind of accepted this worldview. These days, it is a person who is devoted to biblical truth who is accused of being divisive. Those who hold fast to the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God are treated as outdated and retrograde. We are viewed as the religious leaders of Jesus' day who rejected him. The irony, of course, is that woke pastors don't understand what the sin of the Pharisees actually was, so they flip the truth on its head. They insist that since Jesus spoke his harshest criticism to the religious leaders of the day, then his, then that means that Jesus was displeased with religious people today who take the Bible too seriously. They attribute the pejorative Pharisees to people who are a little too zealous about believing that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. So we're shifting out of the realm of culture a little bit, John, and now we're shifting a little bit over to the church where we have these pastors that will not just simply stand on the word of God and then gird their loins. They want to do everything they can to be seen as winsome. So they will come up with these third way approaches that basically disregard scripture because that's kind of icky and we can't always understand it. And oh, there's stuff in the Bible that's probably shouldn't be there anyway. But just talk to me a little bit about Christians, professional Christians, like ones that work at the church, but even just regular old Christians that, you know, work a job and, and go home after five o'clock about them just trying to avoid divisiveness at all costs.
1: Yeah, it's it's really crazy. It's like it's the reason in the book I have these things called Bible binaries and what I mean by Bible binary. And the reason I wrote it that way is because right now I'm I'm constantly hearing it's usually people on the Christian left, but e- just evangelicals in general are saying it now. You got to stop being such binary thinkers. It's almost like they're saying that we are making things too simple because we're always binary, meaning there's only two choices. You can either choose this way or this way, and there's nothing else. They think that we're being too reductionistic and too simple-minded because things are much more complex than that, you see. So I'm I'm sort of taking what... I'm taking what they're saying, and I'm owning it. And I'm saying, okay, you know what? You want to play that game? I'm The Bible is pretty binary about a lot of stuff. God says, I put before you life and death. Choose which God you're going to serve. God says, I want you to choose life. Choose life so that you can live. But there's two choices here. And this whole third way stuff, I think— I, look, I think a lot of these institutional church leaders that we're talking about, and I always want to be clear about this. I am not talking about the, the amazing, godly, faithful church pastors uh, uh, of ch- that you'll never hear of that are being faithful, like my leaders at my church. They're amazing. They never write op-eds in the New York Times. <laughs> they're never going to be asked to go and do all the big stuff on, on all these big things. They don't get to do it because they're too faithful. There's thousands of faithful ministers. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the institutional folks. that constantly punch people like me and you in the face, metaphorically. They punch towards us and they placate towards the left with their third way. These are smart people. They're not dumb. They know all of my arguments way better than I know them. They're intellectuals but they are they are compromising the truth so that the world will like them maybe they're trying to be winsome and they refuse to choose a bible binary and one of the other things that really frustrates me is you know in conservatism what is the conservative worldview the conservative worldview understands that we cannot build utopia there is no perfect world you have to have trade-offs and so the third way approach to me is nothing more than a utopian refusal to trade off. And that's what they do with abortion because people like me and you go, "Hey, I'm going to be honest, 13 year old girl that was raped by her father or her, or, or her stepfather or something like that. This is a terrible thing. And she got pregnant. It's a terrible thing. And I grieve over it. My heart breaks over it but we got to make a tough decision here and there's a trade-off and we are not willing to trade off the innocent life of the unborn child because of this incredibly satanic, demonic act that this guy did. We recognize that because we go, well, there's a binary approach. There's death and there's life. And these third way people are just not willing. They're such unclear thinkers or else they're fibbing. They're such unclear thinkers, they, they will not make trade-offs. And that is why in the book, I say that they are actually men of utopia disguised as men of the kingdom. They say, oh, no, I'm doing this because I just love people. And the kingdom of God is for the poor and the oppressed, but they know better. So they're just nothing more than men of utopia. They're unwilling to face the facts. You got to make a trade-off sometimes.
0: Hey guys, real quick, I've talked about this on the show before, but I've been experimenting with the idea of getting on the carnivore diet. And so I've got a good buddy, Chad Robichaux, who's been on the podcast that he's been on the carnivore diet for a while. He's seen a lot of great success. But the big thing that I've been worrying about is like, where do I get high quality beef? Like where exactly can I get beef where I can trust that's coming from a reputable source that it doesn't have a bunch of junk that's been in it. And I've been looking for a cattle operation partner to really partner up with. And that's why I want to introduce you to... The new official beef delivery partner of Undaunted Life, and that's my friends at Primal Beef. So, Primal Beef is a brand new cattle operation owned and operated by Sean Glass. So, he is a retired Navy SEAL that served with Jocko Willing, and Jocko is also a partner in Primal Beef. So, What makes primal beef different from the other fly-by-night beef delivery companies? It's a combination of the following. So it's all American black Angus cattle. The beef comes from one farm and that's in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. Also, the beef is all natural. There are no, no hormones added ever, no antibiotics ever, no mRNA ever. And here's a cool thing. After slaughter, the beef is dry aged and then it's hand cut by artisan butchers and then flash frozen to ensure that it maintains the tenderness and marbling and flavor that you'll want by the time it gets to you. And here's another cool thing. For every box sold, guys, Primal Beef donates meat directly to a member of America's Special Operations Forces through the C4 Foundation. So you can take pride in knowing that your purchase will help literally put food on the table for one of America's finest warriors. So, are you salivating yet? Because if not, you should be guys try primal beef out today by going to www.primalbeef.com that will be in the show notes that's primalbeef.com use the promo code kyle that's my first name kyle kyle for 10% off of your order again that is primalbeef.com use the code kyle kyle to get 10% off of your order i think some of them know better john but i think some of them are just uh, cowards. I I think that they act very cowardly because here's, yeah, here's the unique thing, John, about the third way approach. And I think you may have pointed this out in the book. Isn't it so interesting that the third way is always left of center because you would think there's a left, there's a right, and there's a center. So that center must be the third way, but the, the, it's always to the left. It's not a third way approach that is to the right. It's always to the left. And also it, with the abortion example that you just brought up, what's the only way to make that situation, that horrible, awful satanic situation worse? killing the baby. Adding a murder on top of the incestuous rape is the only way to make that situation worse. But again, we can't think that way because it's icky. And also we are very clumsy in our thinking because we think that there isn't a way where this could be something where this baby can be valued and this woman can be valued and the man can be punished. But I tell people all the time, look, I think rapists and people that perform incest and people that, you know, take advantage of children sexually should be castrated and then killed. But I don't think the baby should get the death penalty for something that its father did. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. But we, we, have, these, we have these pastors that won't, won't do the thing that they need to do, which is just to stand on Scripture and then just deal with the slings and arrows that come their way. But there's also modern-day prophets there's a lot of people that like to think of themselves as a modern day prophet. Um, but you know, as my buddy, Joby Martin says, he's a big, big pastor down in Florida. He's like, Kyle, I'm a shepherd. You're the prophet. You get to throw the grenades and the flamethrowers, and I have to lead sheep in a particular direction because that's what I'm going to have to give an account for. But you talk about the weakness of these modern prophets in chapter one of the book called The Death of Naivety, and here's the quote. In biblical times, it was the prophets who would rebuke the king and remind him that God owns the world. In our day, I wonder if the prophets need a good, thorough rebuking. I guess the problem with that, John, is they're not actually prophets if they're not doing the rebuking, because the only time I think it's appropriate to use the phraseology, speak truth to power, is in this context. When you have your your overlords or your overseers doing things that are completely outside of the morality of God, that's the time when you should be a prophet in the culture that you in, that you're in and point that out as something that is immoral and ungodly. What say you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Old Testament gives us, the thing is, this shouldn't be shocking because the Old Testament (laughs) keeps telling us this is what happens. I mean, there's several examples. In one instance, um, God is rebuking the prophets because he says, you go around saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. This is the Lord talking. In other words, the prophets are supposed to be saying no peace. You are ignoring the law of God. You need to repent and go back and obey the Lord. But instead, the prophets are like, uh, I don't want to do that because every time I do that, I get in trouble or we get stoned or we get burned or we get mm-hmm. killed. And it's just not worth it. I'm just going to tell people what they want to hear. And so, what do they do? They go to the people and they say, Hey, the Lord says there's peace. The Lord says that, why can't we all just get along? The Lord says, you're fine the way you are. The Lord says this, let's just unify. That's all that matters. And God is saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. There's also another time when when God says that the prophets are blind dogs, which is meant to be uh, such a huge insult. In other words, the prophets... Are supposed to be sort of like on an Old Testament pictures on the watchtower. They're on the wa- They're climbing the watchtower so they can see very far away. They can see the danger that is happening, and in some, of course, in some cases, of course, a prophet has prophetic sight. So they they hmm. see what, what the darkness is doing. Of course, so you're supposed to be seeing what the enemy is doing, so that on the watchtower you can raise the alarm. That's what the, the 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 watchdogs. They're supposed to be barking, and now we have all the prophets just silent dogs. They're fat and lazy. Dog. They're, that's what the Bible says. They're fat. They're lazy. They just drink all the time. They eat. They don't. They just don't want to be uncomfortable. And that's where I think the church. I think that's where our church leaders are at. It's it's a really incredibly sad thing.
0: Well, it's sad because we bought into the lie that in order to be a godly person, that you need to be a wimp. And I mean, that's why you start off, you know, the the title of your book is Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. And so obviously the the wimpiness that we think we are supposed to model is this supposed pseudo jesus the the wimpy version of of this jesus this is the jesus with softer features that never really ruffled any feathers which doesn't really align with the jesus of the bible so i want to read a quote again from chapter one of the book guys if if it's a shock to you that we're a halfway a half hour in here and we're still in chapter one that's how dense this book is so let me read this quote here it's somewhat lengthy but it's great We have embraced wimpiness as a virtue. And then a little bit later on the same page, I just have to read this whole thing because it's gold. To put it simply, we are wimpy because we believe that Jesus is wimpy. Wimpy Christianity's Jesus would be in danger of choking on his own H&M scarf that he's wearing in the summer and spilling his Starbucks latte while turning tables over in the synagogue. Actually, I'm wrong because wimpy Christianity would object to the entire premise, saying something like, Jesus wouldn't turn over tables. He would set a table up for real conversations about belonging. At wimpy Christianity's imaginary table, Jesus doesn't talk about sin. He may or may not believe in hell, but either way, he does not mention hell because that's not nice, and it might give people the sads. Someone at this table begins to share his truth about how he is oppressed by the people at the synagogue. Perhaps there were no social workers to help him with childcare. Because of this, he was forced to work, barter, and steal in the synagogue on the Sabbath. After this emotionally driven story, Wimpy Jesus says, thank you for that honest conversation and for your authenticity. I feel your pain. And though I don't fully agree that my father's house should be made into a den of thieves, I can learn from this because we are all stronger together. The thing i love about that quote john is you weaved in so much culturally uh relevant but nonsensical garbage into one thing because that's exactly what we think jesus would do we forget the part that jesus embraced the sinner while pointing out his sin and saying don't do that anymore why because it separates you from the father and i haven't provided you a way to make yourself righteous before the father yet so can you please stop it so tell me just a little bit more about that because this is obviously the reason why we launched on daunted life to begin with is because there was this dichotomy between the manliness and the godliness of jesus and it shouldn't be there
1: yeah it's funny hearing somebody else read that i've never heard anybody else read it and it's it's even funnier when i hear you say it it's a really it's just a hilarious picture jesus choking on his H&M scarf in the summertime. <laughs> right. But when you read yep. it, when you read it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I feel like I could almost hear, I can, he- I'm not trying to be rude, but I feel like I could almost hear pastors saying these things. Jesus wants, like the, these these guys just are so feminine. Jesus wants to set a table where you belong. You're just like, oh my gosh, Uh, it it makes Mm. me sick. And I mean, you've been, you've been ringing this bell a lot longer than me, but we are wimpy because we think that that's who Jesus is. We we just think he's a really like wimpy guy. And that, that, you know, I see this even, I I mean, going back to the prophets saying, let me say this, I've been rebuked just this week. I get rebuked every week by people who I think believe that they are Christian prophets. I got rebuked yeah. this week because I spoke out of, against drag drag quote unquote Christian drag Queens coming to the Devil wards. And right. I get rebuked because I'm being divisive. I'm not being like Jesus. They are describing wimpy Jesus. As you just read from my book, wimpy Jesus who's choking on his H and M scarf is like, don't be mean to the drag Queens coming into the synagogue. It's insane. I think that these people really truly have created a new Jesus that is so unlike the Jesus of the scriptures. And basically all that th- all that their version of Jesus is, is basically a modern Metro guy. And so yeah, I think that some of this be. comes that is who they want him to be. And I think some of it comes from the the true the true. I just think hatred that our culture has for men, our culture hates men. Mm-hmm. Our culture wants the only masculinity that our culture has is when a woman is acting like a man and, 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 and that's it. And, and if a woman's acting like a man, then she's like a, a she queen. But if a man is acting like a right. man, it's just, it's hateful and it's just, it's uh, it's perverse. So I'm going to say about that it's perverse.
0: Well, John, it's hard to have a revolution when manly men oppose you. And so uh, it, you can get it done, but if you have a bunch of manly sheepdogs stepping up the, and making your job harder, you may not be able to accomplish the supposed utopia that you're shooting for. And the problem is is the the so, so-called cultural prophets aren't doing us any favors. Our effeminate pastors aren't doing us any favors because here's the thing. If you're effeminate – in your wiring and in your nature, you want Jesus to be like that so you feel more manly because you'll say things like the ultimate man was Jesus and he didn't fight. He died. So you should never throw your wimpy little fist at anybody. You should just take it. You should just bend over and take it whenever anything comes your way. It's like have fun living that out as an actual worldview. But there's something more nefarious afoot that you cover in your book as well. It's that a lot of pastors aren't just wimpy they're, they're not just weak. It's that they're actually secular humanists posing as pastors. So short quote from the book here, so many of our Christian leaders are proving themselves to be secular humanists with Bible degrees, and nothing has proved this more than their reaction to the overturning of Roe. Now, We're talking about this on the heels of the midterm, well, technically the midterm elections, the off-year elections uh, instead, but the off-year elections uh, in Ohio where uh, Question 1 was approved, which basically enshrined a Roe type of abortion thing into the Ohio Constitution. Basically, since Roe, on a state level, every single state, for the most part, that has put a vote to the people, including states like Kansas, uh, those have been roundly rejected because the law teaches morality. And for 50 plus years, the, the law has been, oh, it's a good thing if women choose to ch- kill their babies because, you know, it's their bodies ultimately. So why in the world would we judge these people? That type of immorality has infiltrated conservatism, has infiltrated the church, has infiltrated all kinds of things. But these pastors are showing us that they are just secularists. They They know a lot about the Bible, but they don't believe it. That they know a lot about the Gospels, but they don't believe that that's true for them and that the Gospel is a good enough answer to any cultural problem. So how did this happen, John, or why do you think that this is continuing to happen? And how do we as as the flock root out these secular humanists that are purportedly uh, trying to be our shepherds?
1: Man, it's such a great question. Did you you um, see—let's see— Do you know who Britt Leatherwood is? I believe he's he's one of the head of the ERLC. You know what the ERLC is?
0: Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're going to talk about.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah. The ethics, religious liberty, count, whatever. The ERLC is the sort of civil arm of the SBC. So just so people know, SBC, biggest denomination in the nation or maybe the world, um, Baptist Southern Baptist Convention, they fund the ERLC, which is for civil liberty and stuff. But the ERLC is just a leftist organization. Um, And so people in the SBC, uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't be in the SBC. There's a lot of faithful churches in the SBC, but you need to understand your tithe – Part of your tithe is going to fund ERLC, which is a leftist. It's just the way it is. Organization, but but they say they're not, so they pose as they are the third wayers. They call themselves conservative, but they're clearly not. So Brent Leather was the head of that this week. He came out. All right. So remember the Nashville shooter of the Covenant School in March. Remember that was a trans identified person that shot that. Remember. She wrote a manifesto. They weren't going to release the manifesto. It's gotten leaked. And people are really mad about it. So Brent Leatherwood of the ERLC is really mad that the manifesto got got leaked. And he did a press conference that I would say is probably literally the most vomit-inducing, pathetic Feminine vile thing I have ever heard a, a quote unquote man of God say never seen anything like it before people should go up and look. I think Joel Berry from Babylon B tweeted it out. Go check it out. What you're dealing with are people who are not ashamed to say the name of Jesus, but they are ashamed of the character of Jesus. That's what makes them weak. They think that God's kind of mean, And they think that if God says that you should not (laughs) kill that baby in the womb, there's, there's a little bit of that that could be mean, depending on the circumstance. That's what's going on. They are secular humanists. How did this happen? Part of the reason it happened, frankly, is because we live in an amazing country. We live in a country that has the benefits of much better men than we are, who fought, bled died, philosophized, worked, and honored God to create a country who built our system of laws and ethics on the Bible. And so we're living in the benefit of it. And then we take it for granted that all countries agree with all of these certain things. And so we all agree on justice. You know, there's a quote at the end of the book. I quoted Pastor Tim Keller. Pastor Tim Keller is saying, Guys, everybody all people, Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, rapists, everybody in the planet has common intuitions about justice. That's what Tim Keller said. We all have common intuitions about justice. So we shouldn't act like the Christians have some like unique idea about this. We got to come together. Well, that's just not true. And you know, I would say that, that Tim Keller was probably the most influential. Christian philosopher of the last thirty years, I would say, since since Schaefer probably. So what we're dealing with is truly a a group of Christian leaders who wanted to be more accepted by the world and wanted to say, guys, we're all the same. We all want the same things here. And we're going to show you by our winsomeness that we're all on the same page and we need to come together. And and they didn't understand that we're really not on the same page and if you take if you take christianity out of the world view you're going to devolve into madness and chaos which is what we're seeing in the 2020s when i feel
0: like with going back to the winsomeness It's like these people have forgotten that the tiger will eventually eat them. So they keep feeding the tiger. They keep cleaning the tiger's cage. They keep petting the tiger, and the tiger will purr, and the tiger will respond to them. The tiger may even do some tricks. But one day that tiger is going to remember it's a tiger, and it's going to eat you from your butthole up. And so that's the thing for a lot of these people that they just don't really understand. And that's that's what you talk about in Chapter 7 of the book is where you get into critical race theory. And, you know, Christianity deals with truth and critical race theory deals with ideology. And you do a great job in the book of breaking down critical race theory, critical theory, the, the Frankfurt School, all the way back to, you know, Marx. And, and uh, you know, you, you go all the way back. So you, you show your work. But when you talk about the SBC... And you talk about some of the propositions that they put up a couple of years ago when J.D. Greer was kind of heading some of these things up. And they're like, no, 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 guys, guys, critical race theory, it, you know, it's not Marxist. It's just a lens. It's a lens through which we can view the plight of the Christian of color in America. And this all also goes back to lived experience, quote unquote, and standpoint epistemology. And so when you put all these things, it ends up being this witch's brew of nonsense that the church is all but willing to just throw a sugar cube in and just take it down the hatchet. So there, there's not really a question in there, John, but just talk to me about you know critical race theory, how that's kind of snuck in the back door of these churches and how that really relates to standpoint epistemology and lived experience.
1: Man, you just said something I want to go back to. Let's talk about the lion you, or the tiger. You just said there's the tiger and you're going yep. to this is perfect because it, it also answers the last question probably better than I did, which was the, how do, how did our leaders become secular humanists? Here's the thing. Utopians believe that the tiger you're talking about, you said, you can't just keep feeding the tiger and clean his teeth and having fun with them. They believe that the tiger is actually oppressed. If the tiger wasn't <laughs> yeah. oppressed, yeah. then he would never eat you. If you never treated the tiger poorly, yeah. Then he would, he would never do anything like that because that's not actually what tigers do. This is what utopians yep. believe because they do not believe that mankind is evil. They do not believe that every intention of man's heart is to do wickedness, like the Bible says, even the Christian ones. And, and that's why the progressives go, as long as we just give everybody everything they need, they're never going, that tiger's never going to eat you. That is precisely why they are secular humanists because they don't believe what the Bible says about that. That's why Tim Keller is saying no, no, no. Everybody agrees on justice. The tiger, the tiger will agree with us. We just got to find common ground with the tiger. So when it comes to critical race theory in the church and what we saw happen, and it really we it began in 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 the, in the Big Eva in the evangelical world more like in 2014, but by 2020. The mask was off. Everybody was like, what's going on? Why are they kind of like embracing critical race theory? That's their third way approach. And it's the reason in my book that I go into such detail because Kyle, I'm sure you've had this discussion (laughs) probably a hundred times. I know I have. 2020, 2021, you're arguing with a Christian person who is on the opposite side. And they are mad at people like me and you. And they say that me and you don't know what critical race theory is. They're like, Mm. yeah, you don't even know what critical race theory is. That's just like a talking point in the right. It's like one of those things you say, but you don't even know what it is. It's not being taught in schools. It's a legal theory. It's impossible for to teach in kindergarten because it's just nothing but law school. I've had that conversation a thousand times, not literally, but dozens Mm. (laughs) <laughs> and every single time I find my, my head exploding because as I'm talking to the other person, I realize, wait a minute, I have read critical race theory. They don't understand what it is, but they're accusing me of not understanding what it is. So that is the reason I went into death. This is what these people mean because once you, once you hear it, I mean, let me just say something shocking, Kyle. Um, for everybody listening, you need to understand this every one of these people um, that, are, that are coming up with these ideologies that are that are normal to us they are the norm now every one of them is an atheist every one of them has a burning hatred of god I, and i don't i don't even mean an unconscious one so i'm not talking about christian worldview like well if you don't love jesus then you're against him and you hate him whether you know it or not i'm not talking about that i'm saying they know they hate god They say they hate God. They say they want to tear down Christianity. They believe Christianity is the reason human beings are suffering. That's the reason the tiger wants to eat people, because of Christianity. So, Karl Marx hated God. Um, His partner in crime, Ingalls, hated God. Freud, Freud thought that Christianity was infantile. Christianity is giving you infantile sexual repression which is why your life is really terrible so in order to get rid of your sexual repression you need to become an atheist and reject jesus the critical i'm sorry yeah the critical theorists excuse me the neo-marxists mark hughes all these people they believe that the reason that there are oppressed peoples in their neo-marxist world the oppressed people of course are the poor the downtrodden sexual minorities racial minorities they only exist because of christianity christianity built the world that caused their oppression got to do away with christianity all the way up to the critical whiteness studies people they all hate christianity to see these sbc people and big eva say well we can learn we can learn from the ideas of these people who said they hated Christ, want to tear down Christianity, created brand new ideologies that give us an alternative, totalizing worldview, and then say, well, let, let's open it up and see which parts of those things that we do agree with. That is insanity. Don't make me get started.
0: Bro, I'm, I'm going to make you get started, but we're, cu- we're coming to the end here within not that long. But the thing that people don't realize is these people that hold to this world worldview, they don't believe in God, but they hate him. You see what I'm saying? It's like yes. they don't believe in it, but they hate the world that that has been created. And you know, when, when you have these people again, useful idiots that are like, "Oh, the critical race theory is not a thing." Look, I looked at all the curriculum in my kid's public school, and I I searched for the words "critical race" in theory, and it didn't even show up. And I was like, "Yeah, you moron," because it's called social emotional learning. That's why. So when when your teacher is separating the white kids to one side of the class, and all the non-white, well, white kids and Asians on one side of the class, and then all the other kids on the other side of the class. And then they start talking about oppressor oppressed dynamics. What the hell would you call that? Because if you actually understand the writings of the critical theorists, you would understand that that's exactly what they want. <clears throat> they want the whites to feel like the victimizers and everyone else to feel like the victims. And then we have this victim Olympics where it's like, the more you are a victim, the better it is for you. But I was reminded of a story where there was, uh, again, you're just letting, you're letting the, the enemy in the back door. There was this woman that had a python, All right, it was a python or a constrictor or something like that, but I think it was a python, and she kept it as a pet. And she treated this thing like we would treat a dog. So she would pet it, she would take it with her places, she would let it sleep in her bed. And I forget some of the details at the end of the story, but what scientists figured out that this python was doing is this python stopped eating. And the woman thought, you know, my python's sick, I don't really understand what's happening with this python, I can't get it to eat. And then finally, a really smart veterinarian or, or animal behaviorist said... This python's getting ready to eat you. That's what this python is doing. Like, it is clearing enough room in its body so that it can swallow you and digest you. And so many Christians and so many organizations like the SBC or other denominations that are going the way of the woke, that's what they're doing. They don't realize that the, the, the dragon of culture is clearing space in its stomach to swallow up their denomination and all the inhabitants of the denomination. And then here all of us are, and this is what I want to talk about next. There's so many people that while this is happening, the dragon is famished, looking for a big meal to devour. And here we are talking about the tone of voice that guys like you or guys like me or guys like Vody Bauckham or guys like, you know, Matt Chandler or guys like whoever, someone who's actually speaking. So, well, not Matt Chandler, cause he's kind of into the critical race theory stuff, but, uh, maybe these, these types of folks, these uh, John MacArthur's and these types of people we're worried about their tone. They don't sound very winsome. They sound really mean. And I won't read the entire quote here. Cause you talk about the tone police in chapter seven, but you, you read a quote from, well, actually I'll read the quote. It's this the wrath of God burns against them, talking about sinners. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them. And the pit hath opened its mouth under them. That sounds terrible. That sounds terrifying. Sounds so judgmental. That sounds like that would get you a community guidance warning on Instagram, but those are the words of Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God and that sermon helped lead to the great awakening here in this in this country and so I guess talk to me a little bit about the tone police is this a distraction tactic they don't want to deal with our actual arguments so they just want to be angry about the fact that it's coming out of a bearded face well what's the deal with the tone police focus
1: yeah it's insane I mean I think to me one of the biggest things happening and again, it's the reason we have, you know, I put 650 quotes in this book because, I, I, because I, I'm just trying to wake people up. One of the biggest things happening is, is that we don't believe the people who, when they say they want to tear down our faith, when they want to destroy the world. We, we just don't believe them. That's because we're wimpy and weak. And as you just said, well, they didn't call it critical race theory. I looked through the curriculum and you're like, yeah, they call it social emotional learning or they call it DEI or they call it other, they just rename it stuff, but they're always clear about what they want to do. I said to somebody this week, they were really upset that I'm making too big a deal of the drag queen thing. Like as if drag queens are the worst thing in the entire world. And I'm like, I'm not saying drag queens are the worst thing in the entire world. What I am saying is that the the gender ideology people and the drag queen people and the LGBTQ mafia, they will tell you from their words and their literature straight out of their mouths. They believe that the world would be a better place if we would just break down, uh, disintegrate the gender binary. They don't like the gender binary. They don't like male and female. They think that it's oppressive and they want to get away from it. And one of the best ways they can do it is you have to start with children and you get children as young as they are before they create all these binary boxes of, this is what a man acts like. This is what a, a woman acts like. This is how a man dresses. This is how a woman dresses. You have to get them before they do that and show them the, queer joy that's their words the queer joy of queering that's what they call it queering the boundaries and what they mean is doing something different and they would say from their own mouths the best way we can do that is to have drag queens around children because then we can gender bend we gender bend them in their minds and now they have queer joy and if we do that we disintegrate the difference between men and women you can say that to christians all day long, and all that they will say is this, I don't think that's true. They they, they can say, from the mouths of the drag queens, yes, it is true. We want to teach your children to stop seeing men a certain way and women a certain way. And they'd be like, I don't think that's that big of a deal. They won't believe you. It's the same thing with Israel and Palestine. The amount of Christian people that are anti-Israel, it doesn't matter how many times Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas, BLM, talk about the fact they want death to America. Christians are like, I don't think they really mean that, though. It's, yeah, it's the most they, insane thing Yeah, I think they there want is.
0: more jobs. Yeah, I think it's that they want universal child care. It's not that they want every Jew to die, because that's crazy.
1: Yes, so so they Christians are so weak philosophically and wimpy, because we just go, well, they don't really mean that. So just, if you just speak nicely, you'll win them over. Well, let me ask you a a question here. What are we to do when you have a church, I'm talking about the church at large with a big C, Christendom, that does not believe the words of the people that want to destroy Christianity, to, to destroy America, who are coming after your kids to trans and to queer your kids what do you do with christendom when they they won't believe the people out of their mouths and the destruction is at the stinking door how are you going to think as long as i'm just nice i will change i will change hezbollah's mind i will change hamas's mind i will change the blm people that want destruction of america i'll change their mind i'll change the drag queen's mind and say hey if you just understood how nice of a christian i was you probably wouldn't come after my children. Stop being so stupid. And the other thing I would wanna say is just this to the whole tone police thing. It's absurd, let's just go back. Do you think that Christians should not have been screaming in Germany about Hitler in 1942? What What are you gonna do? Do you think that Christians should not have been yelling in, in 1842 about slavery? I, I just don't think that Christians understand. They just don't get what's happening. And so to them, because they, they're they still living, as you said, in, in 2001, they're still living in what they think is sort of a neutral society. If we all just get along, everybody has a right to say that. Everybody pretty much has the same ideas of justice, like Keller taught us. It's just not true. We don't have the same ideas. They are actually trying to destroy everything about our nation, our heritage, our our religion, your right to raise your kids. Your right to say, "Um, no, I don't think I want to get that jab because I read some literature and it ain't looking so good. They want to destroy all of that. It's actually insane. Christians are just too weak to believe it. So once again, the last thing I'll say, I gave you 650 quotes from the horse's mouth. And let's just see if any, if anybody's going to go, okay, maybe they mean it.
0: So it reminds me of a meme I posted here recently. It was of this cartoon of this kind of woke looking person saying, Hey, what are your pronouns? And then the other side was an Islamist terrorist and it was kill slash you. And so that's what people don't understand is they think, oh, if we're, if we're uh, accommodating to the pronouns, if we show pronoun hospitality, or if we ask them these questions in a really nice way, maybe they're not going to want to chop our heads off. And wouldn't you know it? That's exactly what they want to do. And I guess the thing, John, is the easiest way to defeat what comes next is by defeating what's coming right now. And that's what people don't really understand. So the drag queens that show up at the Dove Awards, people are like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with that, but uh, it's not that big of a deal. And then they turn their ire towards people like you that are calling it out like, no, this is a big deal because it's indicative of a particular worldview of philosophy, which is antithetical to biblical truth. But... they're just going to keep pushing the line. Do you think flamey grant and you know, the, the lead singer, uh, what was it? Cademan's call. You think these people are not going to do something at next year's dove awards because now there's expectations and it's like what, what Madonna was doing for a while. Lady Gaga was doing for a while. And you know, Lizzo that is doing now, it's like, they're having trouble shocking you doing the stuff that they did before. And so they have to do something more satanic and more revealing of their vagina and boobs and and more extreme. And then maybe they'll be able to get your attention again. And so that's, that's the, the continuum that we've created, because guess what? If every artist got up on stage or if half the artists got up on stage at the Dove Awards and said, Hey, uh, yeah, I want to thank my label, my wife, and I want to thank all these other people. But by the way, are the Dove Awards really going to allow drag queens to just parade themselves around uh, these people that have autogynophilia? Is that something that we're going to be cool with? Do you know what would happen? The Dove Awards would be forced to respond to repudiate those people that came onto uh, in cross-dressed on the red carpet, and then it wouldn't happen again. That's exactly what would happen because the culture would get mad and the devil Awards could have been like, hey, take two of these and call me in the morning and just said, hey, I don't really care why you're so fired up about this. But again, we're not really interested in doing that. Now, John, I know we got to wrap up here. I have so many other questions I want to ask you about your amazing new book, but we've been fairly pessimistic here, John. We've been talking about all the (laughs) negatives and we've been raging and we've been angry white patriarchal men for an entire hour at this point but you wrote an entire last chapter, chapter 11 called, this is the kingdom. And so this goes back to the third thing on your list that you wanted to do, you know, rock the mic, write the hits and, and, um, you know, spread hope, help us be hopeful at this point, because I tend to believe like you, we are watching the, we are watching our empire fall before our eyes but even if America falls, that doesn't make the gospel less true. Even if America falls, that doesn't make God any any more involved in the goings on of humanity and creation. But it's kind of hard to be optimistic. So
1: help us out. Mm. Well, amen to that. I mean, here's the thing: the answer for this is, is actually not very difficult. It it's only seems difficult because it's gonna it's just gonna take some guts, we and a little bit of brain power. We got to get a little bit smart. All that we have to do is, like I wrote in my first book, go back to the Word of God. I mean, it's, it's honest to God that simple. Doesn't mean we're going to quote unquote save America. Doesn't mean that America is going to come back. No, things might get really, really terrible. But all that we have to do is believe the Bible's true. And if we believe the Bible's true, then we are going to believe these. Bible binaries. God says, I put before you life and death. Choose which way you're going to serve. Um, God gives us his His law. He gives us his commands. We know that when we obey his commands that we live in blessing. That's a promise from the Lord. So if we obey his commands, we're, we're going to be blessed. If we disobey his commands, we're going to experience hardships. And, and this is one of my favorite things about the book, um, is I explain the book that God created This is a little philosophical, but stick with me, folks. God created a moral universe. His universe is not arbitrary. In other words, if you you add two plus two together, it's always going to equal four. It's not arbitrary. It's not sometimes going to be equal six or seven or three. It's always going to equal four. There are laws, creational laws that God created. And so you go, okay, what does that really mean? Well, what it means is this. Two parents are always going to give a better life for a child than a single parent. That's just, that's just the way it is. And, and you're not gonna be able to change that. So God created a moral universe to work in a certain way. Then God gave us a moral law that coincides with the universe. So when you obey God's law, you are in the flow of the world he created. I call it being in the flow of the kingdom of God. Let me give you an opposite example. What if the only way to produce children was through a man and a man having sexual intercourse or a woman and a woman? That's the only way you can produce children. But we have the moral law of God that says man shall not lay with man as he lays with a woman. So God's moral law says, no, no, sex is only righteous." when it's one man and one woman and a covenant marriage for life, but you'll never produce children that way because that's not how the world's created. If that were the case, it would mean that as a Christian pleasing God, I cannot produce, I cannot flourish. I don't belong in the world God created because it doesn't work. But the opposite is true. God says, no, this is how it's supposed to be done. And when you do, you're in the flow of the kingdom, baby, which is great news. All we have to do is obey what the word of God says. Do not apologize about it. Know that you're going to be hated for it. Just what Jesus said to his disciples, don't be surprised when people hate you. They really hate me. They hated me before they hated you. This is about me, not about you. We're coming to that time in America. But the truth is this, and this is the really good news. This is where I get a little philosophical. Some theologians may not agree with me based on their eschatology or whatever. I don't know. I personally believe that what will happen is that the people of God who obey the commands of God will be so incredibly blessed that their outcomes are gonna be way better than the world's. The only way that the world's outcomes could be better is if you limit it to say like something like economics, because if the world wanted to, they could get all the guns, and they could steal all of the money from Christians and all the whatever. They could, they could imprison Christians and yada, yada, yada. But if we continue to live in a somewhat free society, are you going to tell me wh- whose outcomes do you think are going to be better? The kid that is raised with two parents who teaches him that physical reality is real, that there is a difference between men and women, that sex is only meant to be between that person and, And his future spouse or her future spouse and that God created the world. Take that kid. And now let's take the other kid. The other kid is a product of some, some rando dude and a baby mama who, who is raised by a single parent. Who is not taught the law of God is not taught that there is a difference between men and women. Who begins watching drag queens at five and six years old and and does gender, uh, you know, gender hormone therapy at ten years old. Who do you think is going to have better outcomes in this situation? I believe the people of God are going to be blessed. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Which household do you think is going to have more peace? Which household do you think is going to have more joy, more righteousness? And so I I guess what I'm trying to say is the answer is not difficult. It just is going to take some courage and some guts. Thank God He's given us the Holy Spirit who gives us all the courage and all the guts that we need.
0: Amen and amen to all that. I appreciate it. but. We covered a lot of ground, but we left some meat on the bone. Perhaps we can keep this conversation going when I see you next month in Kansas. But as of now, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chance? off your chest, Uh, I just said chance. messed up my own house. Yeah, I don't want to get it off my
1: chance. (laughs) (laughs) This right here is my chance. Um, That's right. You know what? I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody for watching. Um, I want to say uh, thank you to you, Kyle, for doing the show and for being a good friend, for the ministry you're doing. I appreciate it. I love it. I think it's necessary. Um, And I would like to make sure that people know that the only place right now you can get the book is my website, johnlcooper.com. I'm working on getting it on Amazon and it's just proving to be a lot more difficult than I thought. The Kindle version is going to be available on Amazon, but if you want the physical book, go to my website and uh, thanks for listening.
0: JohnLCooper.com. That will be in the show notes. John, we'll see you soon, buddy. There you go, guys. Hope you enjoyed the return appearance of John Cooper on our show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the only link I've got for you today is a link to John's website, johnlcooper.com, where you can go pick up a brand new copy of his brand new book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, per perpetua which is off their self-titled debut album on facedown records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah